Hello and welcome to episode four of Can I Borrow Your Mind with Lewis Garnham. My name's Lewis Garnham and yeah, you're about to listen to the podcast. I'm really excited to share it with you. If it's your first time listening, maybe go back and listen to the other episodes. I think they're all great. If you're a return listener, thank you for coming back. Welcome back. I hope you've had a good week. Um, I'm recording this from the lands of the Kulin Nation, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people, um, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded in this country. Um, thank you for tuning in. I'm really excited about this episode. I got the absolute pleasure of chatting to someone who I really looked up to, um, I, I would say, uh, I know that's a kind of a corny thing to say, but when I was young, I used to watch The Chasers War and everything on TV religiously every Wednesday night on the ABC. And I got to speak this week with one of the hosts and creators of that show, Chaz Licciardello. Um, Chaz has worked on a bunch of other shows before and after The Chasers War and everything. He, he, he was part of the team that created CNNNN. Um, that's a great show. A lot of that's on YouTube if you want to go back and watch it. I think it's very funny. They worked on The Hamster Wheel. He's working on a show now which is on the ABC every Wednesday at 9.30pm. It's called Planet America and he co-hosts it and it's all about American politics. And I think it's the best show or best outlet to receive information about American politics. If you're interested in what's going on in the States, um, I'd highly, highly recommend tuning into that show. Chaz is an absolute expert on American politics. Like he knows everything that's going on. So in the second half of this podcast, we got to like sort of delve deep into that world. And I really enjoyed that. I learned so much. Um, he explained to me how Trump won the 2016 election. He gave his predictions for the next election, the upcoming election. Um, and, and we also just sort of discussed society and in terms of Trump, but also just, just how Trump came to be. And, and, and I guess I got to hear about Chaz's criticisms of current society which i found so interesting we also throughout the first half of the podcast we talked about comedy and the chasers war and everything and did all of that which i found really interesting as well so i i think it's a great episode i'm really excited to share it with you hey um if you're looking to watch some comedy online i'm going to be performing on this friday night for locked in melbourne tonight um, that's through Comedy Republic. You can get ticks for, tickets for the Zoom link at comedyrepublic.com.au. I'm excited to do some comedy. It's weird to be promoting a gig. It feels like so long since I've been able to do comedy. Um, and yeah, obviously it's over Zoom. It's it's not it's not it's not real comedy in my opinion, but it's the best that you can do from Melbourne at the moment. So I really commend the people at Comedy Republic for getting it going. It's going to be a really cool show. Celia Pacola's on, Kirsty Wiebeck, John Hastings, and Reese Nicholson is hosting it. Um, and I'll do some stand-up and have a chat as well. So that'll be really fun. If you like this podcast, give it a rating. Um, if you don't like it, don't rate it. Like if you think it's shit, just move on just find another podcast don't give it a bad rating please um and yeah just enjoy the episode i think it's great the intro music for this podcast is by a band called silt i highly recommend them and yeah i'll see you next week next week my guest is a 
really inspiring activist. Um, so that that's another great episode. I'll chat to you then. Until then, have a good life. Enjoy the, the next week of your life. Enjoy listening to this podcast. I think you'll get a lot from it. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all I wanted to say. Have a good one. This is episode four of Can I Borrow Your Mind with. Is that what it's I almost I just had a moment where I was like, is that the right name for the podcast? That is what it's called. Can I borrow your mind? With Lewis Garnham. And the, that was weird. And this week's guest, Chaz Licciadello. Enjoy. Peace. So I'm really excited to talk to you because like I said in the email, the shows that you've worked on, um, the, I love the show that you're working on now, Planet America. The shows that you worked on previously, they sort of came out at a time in my life where I was um, starting to look at the broader world instead of just looking at my own life, if that makes sense. Like around when I was like 14, 15 years old, um, The Chasers War and everything was on. And then I went back and watched CNN and then... Um, and you were very generous, Lewis. You were actually in kindergarten. Don't lie. <laughs> I know I'm old. It's okay. I wasn't. I wasn't. I think the chases were and everything I was started when I was in year six or seven. And then it was okay. still going when I was in high school. <laughs> CNN and N, maybe I was a little bit younger. But yeah. I want to know, I'd love to know. I feel like in, in both those shows and the show you work on now, I feel like a, a, a big, obviously... I can, I feel like a big thing in your life is humor and comedy. I feel like that's a big passion for you and it, it shows in that work. And then also politics, that's like the other big thing that comes out of those works. I'm wondering where those passions, um, would you call them passions, your passion for comedy and politics, where did they originate from? Were they things that came on early in your life or later on? And, and how did that sort of happen? I. They did come on pretty early. I have a I have a very strange origin story for this kind of thing, which is that when I was okay, I was born in 1977, right? And so when I was about six or seven, I was a really weird kid. This was the you know, early to mid 80s, and I was a bit ahead of the curve when it came to the 1980s. In that the 1980s is associated with the phrase greed is good and you know wall street the movie and like this uh, this real materialistic kind of culture and i was so into that when i was like six or seven i was just (laughs) obsessed with money obsessed with money i had all these little businesses when i was a kid like honestly this is absolutely true i would get my i'd nag my parents to buy me like toys like he-man toys transformers toys that kind of stuff that the kids but mm. i didn't play with them myself i thought that was shit but i would rent them out to the kids at school for like five cents a night or ten cents a night <laughs> and then I'd, I'd and i'd save all my money i'd buy more and then rent them out and i just made i basically exploited all my common friends you're and a mogul so much money i was always walking around with twenty dollars in my pocket which you had for it for a year one kid was huge at the yeah, time. Big time. And, uh, yeah. And all I wanted, when people asked me what I, wanted to, what I wanted to be, I always said a merchant banker. I didn't know what a merchant <laughs> banker was. I just knew they were rich. <laughs> That's what I knew. But then I was about, oh, I reckon about eight. 
So this is like 985 now. Mm. I was way ahead of the curve. Like the, it took till the 90s for society to grow out of that shit. But I grew out of it when I was eight. I just said, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Like, like really, is it, is it, like, do I really need this much money? I'm saying with like $35. Wow. That's like, that's the moment that, that's the moment that, you know, someone on wall street, they might have that experience when they're 45 years old and they realize the money hasn't made them happy. You were having yes. that, that enlightened moment when you were eight. Yes. Well, the new three. And I, and I just suddenly had this, yeah, this, this mid primary school crisis. <laughs> well, I, I just said, this is, this is not who I want to be. And I just thought about it. I just thought, okay, well, what, what do I want to do? And I went, I sort of, I approached it in an almost autistic way, which I do with a lot of stuff these days. It's just my personality where I just broke it down and just removed all the emotions. I just said from first principles, what do I want to do? And I thought, okay, what I want to do is I like to inform people I like to entertain people and I would like, and I would like to uh, have lots of variety in my, in my life. I like those things. That's what I want to do. And so I thought, okay, what careers can I do that for? And I put them all together and I decided that I decided also, I also want to make a difference of some kind to mm. people's lives. And so I decided there were three things I could see myself doing from first principles. One was to be a teacher, like a science teacher, maybe. Mm-hmm. One was to be a politician or the other is to be a journalist or a writer. And I saw, and for about a year or two, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, and I was watching, watching Australian politics and I just thought, I'd like to, I'd like the idea of being a politician, but I don't like the idea of being a politician with these guys. <laughs> I don't want to be one of these people. And so, uh, and so I thought, can you change it? Can you change the system? No, I don't think you can. Once again, this is a realization I had when I was like nine, yeah, which wow. a lot of other people have when they're when they're forty or fifty. <laughs> <Much> <laughs> like, it's actually very, very hard to change this thing because it is like it is for a reason. We are, and so I decided, no, I'm not going to don't do politics for that reason. And but I would, but, and so for then it was between science and and journalism or writing of some kind. And so I practiced a lot of writing and I kept on, I learned a lot of science and I practiced a lot of writing. So I left, left both careers open. And from about, yeah, from about 10 or 11, I found myself, I thought I was getting good at writing. In hindsight, I wasn't getting good at writing, but I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided at that point in time, okay, I think I might go down the writing path, but that's not going to work. It never works. No one ever becomes a writer. They think, they, they think they're a writer, but they, they actually fail. So I'll just keep on doing the science. I'll end up being a science teacher who tried to write and failed. <laughs> But somehow the writing came off. So, so realistic, such a realist at such an early age. A very cynical little kid. Yeah. But even in year 12, it was funny. <laughs> in year 12, when I had, you know, when you choose your, if you're going to uni, you have to choose your course, mm. the courses that you're, that you're going to go for before you even sit your exam. Right? At least you did when, you know, when it was my age. Yeah. Um, and so at that point in time, I still was thinking, I've just got no chance of being a uh, of being a really successful comedy writer or writer of any kind. And so the, 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 the courses I chose at that point in time was to be involved in science. And so that's why I did science law. Law was if I end up in journalism somehow and science was for the science teaching. At that point, I still thought I was doing that. But when I selected them, 
I, at that point in time, wasn't 100% sure what the courses were to do the things I want to do, like being a writer and so forth. Mm. And so I actually picked bullshit courses as a bet with my friends. And my first option, to get at my first course I was selecting to go to uni with was animal husbandry at the Australian Catholic University. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was basically just a bet. Do, do, uh, like essentially, dare, do you think I would do this? Yeah, yeah. And then the idea was I'd change it at the last second if, if I decided to actually do something seriously. And honestly, and I changed it at 4.58 on the day <laughs> where, where <laughs> if, if I hadn't hit it at 5 p.m., I was doing animal husbandry at the Australian Catholic University. So I got, I got wow. this close to being the next Dr. Harry. That's wow. all I'm saying. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. I wonder if, that, if, if you had stuck in that course, how much different things would have been. You could be hosting an entirely different show on the ABC right now. <laughs> I, I absolutely could. Although, having said that, the kind of shit we got up to on the Chase's War and everything, Animal Husbandry wasn't <laughs> far away. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. I'm thinking some sketches. <laughs> well, right. I'm wondering, so um, when you were doing the writing and thinking that mm. might be the path, was it comedy writing that you were doing throughout high school and stuff? Not entirely. Not entirely. I wrote. I, I wrote a lot of stuff. I wrote songs. I wrote. Wow. Uh, I wrote. I wrote like novellas with the with the idea of potentially writing fiction. But it was yeah. Was gradually over time, I just got into yeah. sketch writing. Yeah, like uh, through the. At that point in time, in year, in high school, there was the Late Show, which was not the Late Show David Letterman. There was the the Degeneration Late Show. Um, on TV at um, that's when I was like year eight and year nine, and I was very, very into them. And so, was that an Australian show? Yes, yes. Right. That, that is that is the people who ended up um, being on the panel and uh, uh, like the, the like working dog. Yeah, know, yeah, 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 totally. Those guys. Yeah, that, they had a show called The Late Show. Man, that makes me feel old, the fact you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, was, it was a very good comedy <laughs> show in 1992 and 1993. It rings and, a bell. Um, that influenced me heavily. <laughs> and I tell you what, if you want to uh, learn a little bit, if you're if you were a big fan of the war and everything, and you wanted to know a little bit more about where the war and everything came from, what you should do is get some DVDs of the Late Show from 992 and 993. Because really? we are such an obvious knockoff. Really? Of the Late Show. Like I came up with a format of the war and everything. I can tell you now. My idea was to update the late show. That was my <laughs> idea. So, yeah. When did tribute. you? It was a tribute. That's that's classic. I, I, yeah, that's really interesting. You say that because in my eyes, I've always thought of the Chasers War and everything as a really unique show that's so different yeah. to any other show. So yeah. that sort of undermines that. That's really funny. Yeah. When did you meet the other guys from the Chaser and start sort of um, collaborating with them? I met uh, Dom and Charles at school. They were both in high school, right. and we and we as a we were, we were part of a bigger unit that did a lot of stuff at our school, like school newspapers, where we were just and we, when I say school newspaper, we just wrote comedy in it. It was essentially, <laughs> it essentially became just a comedy rag when we took it over. <laughs> the, uh, we also um, we also wrote uh, this larger unit 
attempted to write sketches for like a school TV channel. When I say school TV channel, I mean just a dude had a camcorder. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we did a bit of that together. So there was that, there was that. but that, it's not like we moved straight from that to the chaser. We then went to uni and mm. at uni, Charles essentially formed the chaser out of Dom and Craig and Julian. And those four started a newspaper together at the very end of uni. I had nothing to do with them at that point in time because quite honestly, I didn't like them very much. <laughs> I, was, I, mean, I knew them all. I, I didn't have a huge problem with them, but just, but just like there was, I, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about university identities and, and those guys used to hang around the uni cafes laughing right. loudly, their own jokes and stuff. Right, right, right. They were uni guys. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and I was kind of, at that point in time, I was more interested in actually putting my head down and working mm-hmm. on stuff. Like I was yeah. doing the, the uni reviews and stuff like that. That was more my bag. Mm. And so I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't so much into hanging around with large groups of people in the arts faculty slapping each other's backs. That was yeah, really yeah. What I was saying. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, but then, then when they actually started to go somewhere, Dom, because I was still mates with Dom, Don was saying, yeah, you should, you should, you should join in. Cause he knew I liked to write. And he also knew I liked to write about, about TV and about sports and about the kinds of things that turn up on triple M because they just got a show on triple M and they, and, and yeah. And those four were like the four biggest nerds on earth. And yeah. he was like, we, we need to talk about music. We need to talk about sport. That's the stuff that you write about. So they were doing it. They were doing a radio show on triple M. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cause, cause right. when they started, the newspaper, it, it, it went for about a year before Andrew Denton got a hold of it. And Andrew uh, Denton loved it. And so he just started to create opportunities for them. He created, uh, he, he created opportunities where like, where basically he just, he would pass them, pass the newspaper on to the boss at Triple M and say, you know, just give them like a Sunday night gig kind of a thing. Yeah. And they did. And all of a sudden they finding themselves only writing jokes about like the prime minister for triple M on a Sunday <laughs> night. <laughs> so that's not going to work. And so they got me in to, to, to make jokes about big brother, <laughs> which I could do easily. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and at that point in time, I thought, you know, on one hand, I don't like the way these guys carry on sometimes, but on the other hand, I'd love to exploit them to start my career. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and then I got to know them a bit better and I realized that actually I'd been a reverse snob and they were absolutely fine. And I was the one with the chip on my shoulder. That's so funny. And, uh, and we got along great and I got into the newspaper and then they got Chris on board as well because he was also someone who'd been writing for a long time. And, uh, and then Andrew was Charles's mate and we sort of went from there. Wow. Right. And then that's really funny about that reverse snobbery. Cause I think I do that a lot. I'm very like quick to judge people based on quite superficial things. And then I later have to look at myself and be like, that person's actually really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, I think sometimes when people are like you say, with the slapping each other on the back, when people are like overly confident, in social settings, they grind my gears a bit. I just assume they must be arrogant <laughs> when really we they're just... exactly the same in that regard. Like yeah. As soon as I see someone be loud, I think, oh, that's yeah. exactly. No, in exactly. Charles's case, he's just loud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice totally. He's loud. Totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then, CNNNN. Well, or first, did you get? Um, 
you did like the chaser decides maybe or did you do an election show an election show an election show which which at the we kept on changing the name of the election show every election because we have no idea about branding (laughs) (laughs) the first time was was called the election chaser in 2001 and then 2004 election we called it the chaser decides and we kept on changing it eventually in 2010 it was called uh, yes, we Canberra. Yep. <laughs> she kept on changing. Anyway, um, yeah, it was the election chaser in 2001, which was, once again, entirely because of Andrew Denton. Andrew Denton, essentially, if you look at the history of ABC Entertainment, 2001 was not only the year that we started our show, but also it was the year that Andrew started his, his interview show, Enough Road. Uh, and that's not a coincidence. Because Andrew, right. I'm, not sure he, I'm not sure he'd like me saying this in public, but Andrew essentially said to the ABC, if you want me to come back on the ABC, wow. you should give these guys a go. Wow. Which was very nice of him. Yeah, <laughs> very like, nice. And quite a, quite a risk. Yeah. That's, um, you blame him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you, and then when you started doing these, these things on TV, like CNN and, 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 and the election shows, were you all hanging out and collaborating on ideas or I'm interested in that process of like, did you work separately on your own and then come back and be like, I've written a sketch about this or I want to do this. Or did you all just like get yourselves in a room together and, and just figure out ideas? It's a little bit of both in that, in that the process we went through for all our shows was pretty much the same. It was, it was we have an, an initial meeting where we all come with pictures and we and we just throw them around, throw them around the, the meeting room and we decide the ideas we like best from that from that meeting. We then green light ideas from the initial meeting and people go away and work on them and they bring them back to the next level meeting where they bring back a first draft script which we then read out and we and as we're reading it we just throw around comments. Then the, and then we have a green light process for the next stage. Same person then goes away, works on it for a second draft, brings it back to another meeting. And then either, either that then gets worked on by someone else after going through it in the meeting or that person takes away again. Like we used to do a lot of drafts. We were, we were yeah. big on drafts at the chaser. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a, it is us sitting around meeting, meeting kind of culture, but, but the actual writing itself happens away. That's, away. that's generally how, how we how we make all our shows. And yeah. those meetings, man, those meetings they're, they're they're a blood sport. Like we're really harsh on each other. Are they and fun as they're... well? Are they? I imagine them being quite fun at the same time. Or is, or oh, is yeah. it all just? Yeah. yeah we, I mean, we we we're, we're pretty comfortable with each other, and we and we we enjoy each other's company. So you know, so so they are. I mean, they're pretty lax, but they go forever. They go for like. Sometimes those meetings would go for five or six hours. Easy. Wow. wow. And yeah, and as I said, we're very honest with each other's scripts. I'd say the two the two keys to the chaser were that number one, we're all very different people and we allow everyone to fly their flag, so to speak. Like with all our shows totally. have never had one voice. All our shows have always had all our voices mm. doing our thing. Yeah. Which yeah. Was, I think is one advantage. The second thing is that we're just so harsh on each other, really harsh on yeah. each other. No crap gets through because, yeah, those to get through those meetings is tough. Like your script, it, 
doesn't get the a lot of scripts hit the hit the canine floor. Let's put it that way. Totally, so, yeah. it's like Darwinist. It's like the the strongest, the natural selection, the strongest sketches will be the only ones that will survive, and the rest will just I, fall. It's hard off. to believe when you watch our show that that's how it works. <laughs> yes, that is how it works. It's not. <laughs> it's not at all. I want to know. Okay, that's really interesting about you saying that um, each each one of the strengths is that each person had their voice, and each person was very different. Because I wanted to ask you about, I guess. Um, in in all those shows, I think there were lots of things, and this is why I say that those shows had a big impact on my life because I think those shows taught me to think critically about the world, which I think is really important for anyone. And I, I think a lot of them have quite searing sort of social commentary. Like, um, if, like in CNN and N, some of the stuff about, the Iraq war and, and the Bush administration is really um, it's quite kind of potent. And then in, in the chases war and everything, there's lots of stuff like that as well. There's one sketch in particular that I'll always remember where um, the government had, had brought in new laws about people photographing um, national landmarks or places of interest like the Sydney Opera House and places like that. And, and you guys did basically a test where you sent someone who looked like an American tourist, a white American tourist to places like this to see if the police would send them on their way. And then, and then you dressed up in sort of like Islamic gear and to check if it would have the same reaction. And of course it was completely different in your case, the police came straight away and asked you to move on. Whereas with the white American tourists, they, um, they even got directions from the police. Like the police were like, no, that's okay. You can take more photos of that stuff like that. I think is really, um, really like interesting social commentary and really, I reckon kind of powerful, but throughout those shows, it never really felt like, an agenda was being pushed and it never felt like anything was didactic or like trying to tell people how to think. I wanted to know if that was an important thing throughout the making of those shows. And then also more generally, do you think it's important in comedy to have critiques of society and, or do you think that comedy should just be entertainment? Um, Where do you sit on that whole thing? Okay, well, there's a lot to digest there. A lot. So. I'm sorry. That's a very big <laughs> oh, yeah, question. Right. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll yeah, do my best. I'm sorry. First of all, the person you can thank for what you just described was Andrew Denton, who, when we first started, I mean, we made lots of jokes about the news, but essentially, you know what comedy's like. You're just trying to get a laugh wherever you can get it. Totally. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's hard totally. enough as it is just getting a laugh, Absolutely. let alone restricting yourself. And so we were happy when we first started to just make dick jokes. We didn't care <laughs> as, long as, we, as long as we could get a laugh. Because Andrew Denton was always drilling into us in that first, because he basically acted as our executive producer for the first few years uh, until like until about fifth year in TV. And he was always drilling into us, you have this precious time on air. You've only got you know, six episodes, of half an hour or whatever, there are hundreds of thousands of people listening to you. What do you have to say? Use that time. What are you angry about? That's what you said, drill. So what are you angry about? Come on, wow. let's sit down. Let's talk about what shit. What are you wow. angry about? Let's make jokes about that. And like, and he, was, he used to really drill into us to not waste our time. Now, mm. you still make the dick jokes if, if that's what <laughs> you need to make your piece sing. Yeah. But the starting point 
was, what are you annoyed about? The anger. Yeah, yeah, the anger. And he was really big on that. And then we carried it through from there. Speaking for myself, that suited me fine because remember why I got into comedy in the first place. I wanted to inform people as well as entertain. Exactly. So that was fine by me. If you look what I've totally. done since, I've just continued down that path more totally. and more. Yeah. Because straight after the Chaser stuff, I was doing the checkout. And then, yeah, and then after that, they've been playing America. So in terms of, uh, you know, like the, the early days and, and that, that sort of, especially when, you know, it's pure comedy, which is, you know, the earlier Chaser was, as we before the checkout, like, you know, the war and everything was pure comedy, but still mm. with often a message. It's, I, I, I think, I mean, I think part of it is just because you read the newspapers to, to come up with ideas. And so, and so, the, so you tend to think about the news and what's going on anyway, just because just that's what your inspiration is. But uh, I think, look, I wouldn't say that all comedy needs to have a message. I wouldn't say that. I'd say that the comedy I like has a message. Mm. But I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with people just being funny. Just people like, I, I don't have a problem. Okay. I was about to say, I don't have a problem with Jimmy Fallon, but I don't think Jimmy Fallon's funny. But if Jimmy Fallon was funny, <laughs> I would have a problem with Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon just sitting around playing parlor games with celebrities. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You do that. Yep. Some people like that. That's fine. Mm. But, uh, but speaking for myself, I like comedy that has a, that has a bit of, that makes, doesn't necessarily have to, be, have to, I don't like it being didactic because I don't think there are many comedians that have profound thoughts. But I do like I do like it to at least challenge you in some respect. To I do like comedy to offer, and I think a lot of good comedy offers a different perspective. Like I don't want to get too comedy nerd here, but I think the basis of a lot of comedy is to have you expect something and then for it to switch it around at the last second. That is the point of the humour. That generates the humour. And often that is... I mean, that can be through wordplay or through slapstick, but it can often be through intellect, through mm. saying, okay, you're, you think you know a topic, we're going to switch it around at the last second. That creates the humour. So I do think that having a perspective can inform the technical writing of a joke. And, and, yeah, and some of the people I like, are like, are like in the past I really got off on early Steve Colbert um the uh like where the, the like on the colbert report not so much yeah. these days yeah 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 but the early colbert report i thought was really sharp and that often used that technique of using information to create the comedy you know totally. so uh, john Oliver does a bit of that as well yeah big um, time yeah absolutely so the uh so yeah so i i, I but I, what i would say is that where i think where i think sometimes people people fall people lose the plot a little bit. I don't just mean now. I mean, this has always been the case. People think that bad political comedians were just invented last year. They were not. They've been around for a long time. <laughs> but where, where bad political comedy comes, uh, really loses the plot, in my view, is when they're much more about pushing a message than they are about actually writing a joke or making people think, mm. which is, like, I don't think a good comedian will just, you know, will will just reiterate what you already think and go, oh, yeah, Tony Abbott's bad. Tony Abbott's bad. Tony Abbott's bad. That's a waste of everyone's time. If you're mm -hmm. not surprising people, then I don't think that's good comedy. And, the, and uh, so I think if you're too didactic and you're pushing the message too hard, 
you lose the element of surprise and it makes it shit comedy. So, mm-hmm. so I would say there's a balance there. Having a thought, having a, having a concept that, you're, that you've thought through and you use to construct well-constructed comedy, that's great. But if it's all about you trying to lecture people, then I don't think it's comedy anymore, in my view. I agree. Yeah. I think Will Anderson has a rule when he writes his shows that um, you can have a joke with a point, but you can't have a point without the joke. That's perfect. So, like, so yeah. So you can have a joke without a point or a joke with a point. The one thing you can't have is a point where there's no laugh. There's, there yeah. should be no I, moment where there's just a point because I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree better. And, and I, I have to say, I'm aware that there are some very successful people in the world who do exactly that all the time. I just don't like those people. I don't want to be one of them. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I understand that. Okay. I want to talk about planet America in a minute, but I want to just, just, just quickly still on the chaser and stuff throughout that time. I feel like when the chasers were on, everything was, was on TV. You guys were like, you guys were, were talked about a lot. Um, and yes. obviously, I think a lot of people loved your show and a lot of people were annoyed by it. And obviously, because, I mean, it's in the title, you were poking fun at everything. Like you, you, you had jokes about a current affair. You had jokes about shock jocks on the radio, but also jokes about the ABC. And like you sort of went at everything. I assume there was, you know, during that time, people that thought negatively about you, did you um, on a personal level and then also just into how you worked and how you wrote and how you all operated while you were making that show, did that ever affect you? Like um, being in the public eye that much? Yes. Yes. And in fact, I'm really glad you asked that because that was our number one issue. That's the reason we stopped Mm. the war and everything because it had, and it took an amazing toll on us. It really did. Like it, it, it knocked us around so much. Like we, we were working very hard. Like I, I've, I've let you into a little insight into our work process, but mm. I haven't told you about all the research that we used to do. And like the, we, we, we were assiduous workers. Like I, as part of the war and everything, we would, cause we also did our own, we, we also did our own, our own uh, directing often and we would sit in all the edits as well and we'd be doing all the writing and the performing and we were all over it. And the net result of that is we basically, at least especially me, because I'm, I'm an absolute obsessive on my pieces, um, <laughs> we would, I, okay, I would stay up all night, two to three nights a week. Wow. Um, and the other nights I would maybe sleep two hours often at the ABC on a couch. I would often stay four or five days in a row at the ABC. Whoa. And, uh, and like, yeah, and just collapse on a couch for a couple of hours and then just back into the other suite. And we did that for 40 straight weeks, right? And, uh, and with, at the end, I'd collapse. I'd end up in hospital. I'd get incredibly sick. Like, as we were working ourselves really hard. But yeah. it wasn't the work that was the problem. It was the exposure. Like, it's because... I can't, like, it's funny, you know, that with, with social media, everyone gets a little bit of a taste of it these days where, you know, I'm, I, don't have, I don't know if you find this, but like, even, like, even if you have a, a few hundred followers or whatever, if you get, if you get four, four criticisms on Twitter, it feels like it's a hundred. Absolutely. Like it really does. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the, but 
I can tell you when you get a hundred criticisms, it feels like it's the entire world mm. and it just fucks with your head. It really does. And we were at this point in time uh, where like when we got to 2007 after the APEC thing, when we were getting really, really big and we we're getting like 2 million people watching us a week and stuff. We were in the newspaper every single week. And when I say in the newspaper, mm. I don't mean, I don't mean on page 18, some, oh yeah, Chaz was, Chaz was Spider McDonald's Cremorne. I don't mean that. I mean, I mean, big articles saying why we're bad for the world yeah. or good for the world or yeah. whatever. Like just yeah. people talking about us like we were big stars, you know, and mm. then just, and you read all of it. And if you don't mm. read it, you fucking family gives it to you. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so the, and, and it's, and, the, and, and after every single article, which there were 20 or 30 of a week online, there'd be a thousand comments of people hating on you. And, uh, and, and I didn't read every one of them, but I knew they were there. Mm. And, uh, and then on your Twitter, you just get just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And, and the, the thing which you don't realize is the positive ones exhaust you as much as the negative ones. It's just, when you're conscious of people watching you and people mm. judging you, it's all exhausting. And, yeah. the, and it's just, and especially the fact that, that, that they judge you negatively in all directions, contradictory directions at the same time. There's nothing you can do. There is yeah. nothing you can do. You are going to get judged. And when that controversy happens and they really hate on you, and we had a few of those, like you just, you just, it feels horrible. Like when you're walking home and you get people screaming at you while you're walking home, people taking swings at you in the street, which happened to me a number of times. Really? Like, yeah. You just, you just, you, you're, you're always on. You are always on waiting for that moment that someone's going to hit you or someone's oh going to God. whatever. You hear a noise. You think, geez, that's someone outside. Cause sometimes it is someone outside. <laughs> like out of your house, Fucking they find hell. your address, they get your phone number, they're ringing you constantly. It just, it really, it really fucks with you. And so at the end of the second series of the war and everything, 2007, we intended to call it quits after the second series. And there were a few reasons for that. One reason was because we thought we'd push things as far as they could go, as far as either getting arrested or getting hurt or just pushing ideas as far as, and we thought from now on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get stale. You just can't push it any further, you know, because we're going to start doing the same things because mm. you can't go further than we've got. Like we, mm. we're literally getting physically hurt already. So we can't yeah. push us further than that. We'll die. Yeah, and and we're, yeah. we're already getting arrested, so we can't become more illegal. You know, like so, <laughs> and so, so that, that, was, that was one thing. But the a, a second thing was we were starting to get people interfering with our stunts in the street because we do stuff in the street and we'd start... 2007 was when the mobile phone cameras started and we started to get people with mobile phone cameras uh, and like, and we're just going, well, that spoils the stunt because you, as soon as someone pulls out the mobile phone camera, if they're in the background shooting you while you're doing something, first of all, it alerts your target that there's something going on. And secondly, it's, it means that they, it means that they're in the background fucking up your shot. Yeah. And thirdly, it means they're going to put it online before you can get it out, out on, on air. So the, so so that was a factor. But thirdly, we were just exhausted. And we just thought, you know what? There are too many people hating us already. When we come back, third series, they're going to hit us with a baseball bat. Guaranteed. Mm. Don't be stupid. Get out while you're on top before they bring you down. And so in 2008, 
we were, we, we were done. We were trying to come up with a new idea. But since we have five, we were five people and six with Dom, who's not on screen, there were six people with very different ideas. We couldn't agree on the TV format. We came up with heaps and heaps of formats where three people wanted to do it or four people wanted to do it. We couldn't find a format where all six of us wanted to do it. So we, in the end, we, we came back for one last ill-advised season of The War and Everything, 2009. <laughs> it was so right. It was so much worse for all the reasons that we thought it would be bad. We, we absolutely nailed it. I wish we'd walked away with because we were so right. That was just torture, the whole third season. Really? So you didn't enjoy the, the process of the third season at all? Third season was just terrible. I mean, it was great. We got, but one of the ways we'll try and deal with it was by filming overseas in advance because we figured yep. deal with the mobile phone cameras by filming in America and England and places they didn't know us. And that worked. Mm. But, the, but just yeah, the hype and the hatred and the everything. I mean, the, the Make-A-Wish thing like was the yep. third series. And that was only, I'm telling you now, that was because people were looking to get us because <laughs> that as a sketch was no worse than something we had done hundreds of times before. Absolutely. Just at that point they were looking to get us. And, and yeah, if it hadn't well, been that, it would have been something else. It was absolutely. our time and to cop the bat. Totally. And I think with something like that, it's, whether it's any worse than any other sketch you've done, it's that they, they, they've seen a moment where it's like, it's almost like a chink in your armor. It's like, well, we can, if we can label these guys as not caring about sick kids or what, something like that, that's just like, that's an easy way for them to go you. Absolutely. And look, and a great example of this is what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about being the paper all the time of the criticisms was that was our second episode back from the, from at the beginning, that was the second episode of the third series. The first episode of the third series, the TV writer in the Herald Sun wrote this huge piece about, and it actually went, to, it went online during the episode. It actually went online with about two minutes to go in the episode. This huge piece saying you know. how we've lost our bite and how we're all oh soft. Oh, my God. Like, they could just, like, who so writes the pieces going comedy for not being savage enough. Like, mm. who, who writes that kind of piece? Yeah, like, yeah. That, that, why is that a news article? Comedy show is not quite as savage as I would have liked. <laughs> <laughs> and then the week after, he's the one who's Too leading savage. the way that, to nail us for Make a Wish. Really? Was it the same writer that... Oh, that, 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 writer, that writer was nailing us for everything. All right, the time. So yeah. that, that's not a surprise. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The, like he, I'm, I'm sure his job was to write about the war and everything. Because honestly, well, it's one of his jobs. Because he wrote about us literally every week during the show. It was so infuriating. Oh, he kept God. on filing during the show. Yeah. Like five minutes, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking yeah. hell. It's full on. I, that, it's, inter- it's really interesting hearing all this because I remember when you did finally stop, um, I, I was like, I couldn't believe it and I, and I didn't understand why it had stopped. But now hearing all this, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't have been able to go through that. I've had a few bad reviews for my stand-up comedy and even if they just say something slightly critical, it really affects me. Well, this is, this is the reason why I, I, I've become a bit of a Zen Buddhist online. Like I'm, I'm always, I, I never create criticize people online mm. and i never and and i always show understanding for people who, who who are getting the boot because i know exactly what it's like when you're on the, on the other end of the boot and Absolutely. it hurts so much so yeah. much more 
than you think it's going to. And all these heroes going, oh, you can't take it. You can't take it. Bullshit. If they were on the under, other end of it, they would be cowering. Absolutely. I know it. Absolutely. Because, because honestly, I don't have a soul. I'm a robot. And if I feel it, I know that they would feel it that much worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being in a schoolyard and everyone, you know, if you drop your books or make any slight error or like fall over or trip over on the stair, the whole school is watching you. And whether they like you or not, everyone's eyes in the school are looking to see what you do next. It's horrible. And you can't respond. You can't yeah. respond. That's something that people don't get, that, that people don't understand. People are, gro- people are brought up to when they get criticized to try and justify themselves, to try and explain themselves. That's, mm-hmm. that's how human beings work. Mm-hmm. But in, but when you're, when you're on the end of a mob, you cannot explain yourself. If you try, no one's even listening. No one will hear you. Yeah. Like it, all it does is it provide a hook for someone else to criticize you for something else. So you just got to shut up. And it, that's a very unnatural thing to hear people say things that you know are wrong. Because like if they criticize you for something that's fair enough, you go, okay, or I'll wear that. But if they're just making up shit or they're saying stuff that's just actually inaccurate, it's so infuriating that you can't correct them. It's but horrible. You, can't. you really You're trapped. Can't. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. I, I just want to say two quick things yeah. before we move on. One yep. is just one other aspect of it of the war and everything experience that makes it hard as well is that it just so happens when you're making TV, the time that you get, you get screwed by people and you get criticized and you get heaped on happens to be the time you're not sleeping, which makes it that yeah. much harder to take as well. I cannot yeah. emphasize enough how when you're really tired, that kind of stuff hurts so much worse. You become emotionally imbalanced. And it, just, it adds to your exhaustion. I assume yes. it's like, it does. And the, and the second thing I was going to say was just this is just from way back when you were talking about the light show, the D, the D generation light show, that something to look out for this is one of my comedy theories is that comedy generations are about 15 years. And this is just my mm-hmm. observation. And that mm-hmm. it's not a surprise that that Norman Gunston, who was like a stunt comedian in the seventies, was yep. 15 years before the late show, which was a st- which was stunt comedians in the nineties, which were 15 years before us. And, and the reason for that, I think is because, is because kids who grow up on a certain kind of comedy, like there's a, there's an age that you are when you are very susceptible to comedy. And that is the age of about probably, 12 to about 15 or 16 mm-hmm. the stuff you take in then i think forms you and it forms your your comic your comic vision and your comic comic judgment it stays with you forever no matter how much comedy changes which it does rapidly i'm sure you're aware of that yeah but those those kids who grow up on that stuff when it's their turn when they're in their late 20s or so and because it people don't become tv comedians when they're 21 it takes a it takes a while to, to work your way mm-hmm. through, right? So it's usually somewhere between 25 and 32 or 33 that people actually get their first show. Um, when you, after that 15 year, when, they, when those kids who are 12, when they're about 27 or 28 and they make their own shows, those shows tend to be a rehash of the shows they grew up with, but updated and tweaked and modernized, right? Yeah. And so the uh, and so I think it's not a coincidence you get these fifteen year cycles. And for that reason, 
when people say to me, oh, you should bring back the morning everything, which they do a lot, and which is a great insult to everything we've done since. But, <laughs> but when they, I didn't note that insult. But when they, well, I'll, I'll take it positively if they just like the morning everything. What I always say to them is, we don't need to bring back the morning everything. Someone else is going to. Mm. Someone who, who was 12, when, when we were around is going to bring it back, but they'll bring it back better. They'll bring it back better and more modern and with Dated. a tweak. And people might not even realize that what they do is a new version of War and Everything, but they'll realize, yeah. just like I realized that what we were doing was the late show. And I like, didn't. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, so what I would say is I would say look out for the next couple of years. I bet you in the next two or three years, there is going to be another stunt show or a show with our ethos or a show with with our kind of bullshit detector kind of vibe yeah like there's a lot of clapter and a lot of a lot of hackish political comedy at the moment i bet you there's going to be a political comedy coming out in two or three years time which is a bit more like us which goes everyone etc it's going to come because someone was watching this show who was really into that shit and who was going to spew it out themselves when it's their time absolutely and i I think that's a beautiful way of looking at it in terms of looking at all comedy. It's like um, you have your thing that grows into a tree and then the seeds fall off that and they permeate the next tree. In that sense, you must feel very proud of what you did, surely, if you feel like it's going to, you know what I mean? Like what a great mark to leave on the world if that's going to affect. It's definitely affected my comedic sense and my sense of the world watching that show and yeah if that if that leads to another show coming out that's similar but updated surely that would make you feel really proud of what you achieved in those years if i'm right and that show comes out yes i will <laughs> but at would this you... point i'm still predictions totally <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah i do i do feel i do already feel like there's a that we have made some difference to some people and that that is what I want. That's what I say I have to do. So I am, yeah. I am happy about that. Although yeah. I'm not quite retired yet. I'm still trying to, still, still trying to do more of it. Like I mean, that's actually the reason why I keep on moving on into completely different kinds of shows. Cause I feel like once you've planted your seed, you get the fuck out of there. You don't uh -huh. overstay your welcome. It's uh -huh. planted. You yep. move on, try and plant somewhere else and yep. try and, and try and make as big an impact as you can in as many different areas while you've got some time. Mm -hmm. You know, like don't waste time by just doing the same thing over and over again. Once you've nailed it, move on and nail yep. something else. You know, like that, that's exactly the reason why, for instance, with Planet America, which I know you're going to get to, mm. I, I don't want to keep on doing it. I, I, I'd love to end this year if I can. I might not be able to because the ABC's fired everyone and so it's very hard to, to get a new show commissioned and I'd prefer to make Planet America maybe unemployed. But, but if I can get up a new show, I want to make a completely different new show next year or the really? year after. I feel like we're now playing America. Yeah. That seed's planted. Let's move on. Let's do something completely on, on this. Science shows or history shows or something completely different because the, wow. uh, I feel like we've made the mark now. At least we will by the election time. Yeah. Now let's let's yeah. move on. So well, that could we'll be the way to finish it. And just how many years I make playing America. I think that's probably... That's probably a mistake that a lot of artists make, that the, the yeah. one that you're avoiding. I think that's, a, that's the reason a lot of things become tired is because they, yeah. they reach the I peak agree. and then they keep trying to reach it again in the same field when it, you can't. I agree. I agree. And then you, you become stale and you, you get set into a groove. You keep on making the mm. same show and it becomes very easy once you've yep. made it a few years in a row. 
and then you just start to get uh, get it get it comfortable. And that's when, in my view, that's when you get old. I don't think you get old when you have white hair. I think you get old when you start getting comfortable. Yeah, I don't yeah, ever want to be comfortable. Yeah. I when I make Plain America. I still sleep on floors in the office. I still do that. And I want to keep on sleeping on the floor in the office until I'm 60. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe fast. Whatever it is you're doing, you want to pour everything into it and be excited about doing it. Exactly. Uh, that, so I was going to ask you how, how, how you found yourself creating such a different show as planet America, yeah. planet America, I see is a very, it's a more serious show. It's maybe more informative. I think the chase of war and everything was really informative for me, but this is probably more of an emphasis on being informative. Um, it's probably less performative in a way. Um, and so you've sort of answered why you needed to shift from something completely different to the chase of war and everything, but why was it American politics? Why is this the, the big thing that, um, that you decided to dive into? Well, the reason why is because a previous shift that we had made was after the war and everything, we were trying to do something completely different. We made The Hamster Wheel, which mm -hmm. continues to be the show I'm actually proudest of that we have made, even though most people forget it even existed. It raved pretty well at the time, but it was in the shadow of the war and everything. So people mm -hmm. just don't remember it. But mm -hmm. I thought it was actually the show that we really nailed. I was really happy with that. And that was, that was to use the Andrew Denton kind of uh, filter it was what I was most angry about at the time was the news media like yeah. we're, like I've just spent the last three years watching a current affair assiduously making <laughs> making clinical yeah. notes for the war and everything because that was part of my area the current affairs beat and as part of that I was also watching the news and I was just thinking these guys are absolutely shithouse the news <laughs> is shithouse and so the hamster wheel was basically just a brick on the side of the head of the news media. Like just, so it was just, it was savage. It just went harder and harder and harder. And, and I, I literally logged, not just me, not just me, but largely me, <laughs> logged every single news show on Australian TV. I don't just mean wow. the, the, like the Channel 9 Afternoon Bulletin. I mean the 24-hour news channels as well. <laughs> Sky News, ABC News. I, I was watching everything at double speed, making notes for six hell. months before every series. So yeah, oh this huge God. compendium of notes. I had thousands and thousands of pages of notes every year on the, on the, news, channel, on the news channels and the news shows, right? And we just gave them everything we had. And when I was making this show, I mean, I was really proud of it. But at some point, at one point in time, I just had another of my little realizations that I have every now and then. Where I just thought, fuck, these people that we're making fun of, a lot of them are younger than me. Like at this point in time, I'm like 32, 33. And like just a lot of them, a lot of them are younger than me. They're like 25. You know, they're straight out of school. Mm. And, and they're, they're under a lot of pressure. They are... They have to churn out a lot of news articles a day. Like they're, they're, they're just, they don't have time to get to know what they They have no expertise. Yeah. They have nobodies essentially. Yep. They're thrown in front of a camera. They have all the same criticism that we have. Like, like I'm, I'm conscious of social media and all, they get that as well. Mm. They get, and now their biggest problem is me. Their biggest problem is that I've got this death star <laughs> just this, this huge information weapon that yeah. I just I, every time they cough they end up on our show <laughs> just, and, I, and it suddenly occurred to me that, there, that some of these reporters they are scared of nothing more than me and I am now the bully 
who is creating a life, a, a terrible life for them. And the problem isn't them. The problem isn't the 20 year old news reporter. The problem is the system they're working in. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the, the, the business they are working in makes demands on people that no human being can meet. And so you end up with a shit product as a result. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying these guys are all gold. Some of them are also shit. Yeah. What I'm saying is even if you're great, it's really hard to produce any quality in this environment. And so what I thought to myself was, okay, in terms of just thinking through where I'm going and trying to, how I can make a difference to the world, which is what sounds horrible to say. Like, it seems I hear myself say, I go, what a prat. No, but, but it's it good. I think it's nice. And it's going back to that. That's that 10 year old jazz yeah. that was always, yeah, yeah. that was always there. Yeah. And so what I thought to myself is, okay, this is what you can do, Chaz. What you can do is try and come up with a business model where it works, where you can make a news show Mm. in this environment and you can make a point of making it, of of not being superficial and actually going into some kind of debt. You can make a whole point of not dumbing it down, but keeping it entertaining. That's the key. The key is because they will say, you need to make it dumb. You need to make the stories 30 seconds long. You yeah, need to make yeah. the graphics stupid. You need to make it, you need to do that. Otherwise people switch channels. That's what you need to do. And so if I can prove that that does not need to be the case, then people will watch me. They will see that. And then they'll make their own news shows in the future, which aren't like that. And that's the way you can make a difference. Like if you think the news is fucked, then show how it isn't, how it doesn't have to be fucked. And totally. then someone is going to follow. And so, and so that was the idea of playing America. The why, why American politics? Because one of my key gripes about journalists is that they talk about things they don't understand and they don't have the time to do the research and, they, and often they don't even bother to do the research and they talk about it anyway and they say stupid shit as a result. The one thing I happen to know about is American politics because it's just been a hobby of mine since I was a kid. I was just, I've always been an Americanophile. When I, was, when, I, when I was at school, I used to stay up late and watch the Today Show, the NBC Today Show, which was on at like 1 a.m. and stuff because yep. I was just, just was when, I was, when I was doing homework. The internet came out. I was reading blogs. Like I just, I just happened to have a encyclopedic nature, uh, encyclopedic knowledge of American politics. And so I thought, okay, make a new show about what you understand to show people that, that if they pick topics that they understand, they can do it. Right? Yeah. And so that was the idea. And so I just picked this one area I really understand very well and try and make a new show for no money. And a man, let me tell you, it's no money. <laughs> for no money, no budget, no budget at all, and just work hard and show it can be done. And that's what I've been trying to do over the last four or five years, to gradually tweak it wow. and tweak it, improve it and improve it. So that way, hopefully some news fan is watching it and in five years they'll make, once again, people say to me all the time, make Planet Australia, make Planet Australia. Mm. I don't understand Australian news because I don't pay attention to it. I pay attention to American news. Someone else is paying attention to Australian news. They can make Planet Australia. They can see the formula. Go make it. I hope they do. Yeah. Uh, I, my fingers crossed is that someone else is saying like, that's the reason I'm making it's, fun of it. I think it's, that, yeah, that's a great reason. And I think that's one of the things that scares me so much about the world is that, um, that, that there isn't the thought that goes into making things as much. And I feel like that's becoming more and more the case of clickbait articles or small little things, or even 
actually in relation to planet America, I think it's interesting. Do do you find it hard? Obviously like Donald Trump's going to be a topic throughout your show. And I, one of the things that really annoys me about Donald Trump is actually the way the media reports on him and, and, um, makes big deals out of things that I think are kind of superficial, like the way he looks or the way he talks, or I, I find there's too much time spent on little things that are clickbaity as opposed to um, bigger things. Is do you, do you sometimes find that hard to get down to the nitty gritty of the, cause you want it to be detailed and not just about these superficial things, but he makes it quite tempting to talk about the superficial things. If I that makes sense. You, I think your, your analysis is spot on. I think that, the, that it's a huge issue. And, I, and it, there's a reason why I don't talk about tweets on the show. Mm. Never. Yeah. Like every, almost every week, there's a, there's a story out there that people get really into, which is, oh, Donald Trump just tweeted this. <laughs> I never talk about that. Never. Sometimes John brings them up. I don't. I never bring them up. I hate those stories. I want nothing to do with those stories <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah it, it is now to answer your question uh, i don't find it difficult to ignore them in the slightest because i hate those stories yeah, yeah. and and in the and i liked it like but the the show is a kind of balancing act in that in that it's split between me and john right so the stuff which i bring might be different to the stuff john brings and also on top of that we are providing a service so you can't ignore a story that everyone wants you to talk about because if not, number one, you're not doing your job. And number two, then if you don't cover this dumb story in an intelligent way, it's only going to be covered in a dumb way. Yeah. And I can say yeah. that, that's, that's the other thing. So, totally. so, the, so, uh, so we, we often have to service stories that I'd prefer not to service, not the tweet stories, but you know, there is a step above the tweet stories, which are still <laughs> dumb stories, <laughs> but we, we, we like some controversy where, you know, you know, in the end it's, it's a bullshit story. You know, mm-hmm. like if it's some kind of, some kind of beat up about Trump, uh, like, yeah, like some, like, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, like some kind of, oh, Trump has, uh, Trump, the one, okay. I'll give you an example. Trump has, is going to postpone the election. All right. When that came out, you just go, he's not going to postpone the election. He can't postpone the election. This is just people frothing at the mouth. Yeah. And it's clickbait essentially. It's just, it's, it's intelligent clickbait mm-hmm. when it comes down to it. Like the, the, the reason, the reason newspapers are, are, are running with it is because they know it will sell copies or get clicks, right? The, no one for a second thinks Donald Trump is going to postpone the election. He literally cannot do it. Right. And on top of that is clearly full of shit when he said it. Right. The, but at the same time, at the same time, you, you have to cover it. Mm. You just have to cover that story. And so yeah. the, if you, if you don't, it looks like you're biased. And so you, and so you do need to cover that story. Um, and also, cause that's all anyone wants to talk about. Like, you know, you know, by the number of interview requests you get, how many people want to talk about a story. That's all anyone wants to talk about. Kanye. That's another one. Everyone wants to talk about Kanye, right? But, yeah, but Kanye is mentally ill and Kanye is, I shouldn't say that. I think he's mentally ill. Yeah. yeah I think and Kanye so too. is, 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 he's polling at 2%. And he's not even on the ballot in Wisconsin. He's not going to make a difference, right? Right. That doesn't mean that that's not a real news story. It actually is. I mean, it's amazing that this guy, that this, that this, yeah. this person have a nervous breakdown on like who's a big star is running for president and could conceivably 
in some other universe affect the outcome. That, that is a huge story. I'm not saying it's not a big story. I'm just saying in the end, I know enough about American politics to know it won't matter. It yeah. won't. In six months' time, we're going to look back on Donald Trump changing the election date or Kanye running for, for office and we'll go, if we even remember it, we'll go, oh, that, that, that went nowhere. Yep. I don't want yep. to waste time talking about stories that I know are going nowhere when I know that there are lots of stories that are going somewhere that we don't have time to talk about. Definitely. So I'm trying to sort of cram them in, whatever, and I have no problems doing that. The problem is finding the time to talk about the real stuff when people don't want to hear the real stuff. <laughs> you gotta just somehow find a way this is the problem news news shows have as well you gotta find a way to to force feed people stuff in a way that that stuff which they don't they don't ask for but when they get it they go you know what? i'm glad you gave that to me yeah, thank you precisely. as long as you do it in an entertaining way in an interesting way and you tell people why they should care then they'll, they'll get into it and so yep. that's why i try to do it okay in terms of, um, so these, these sort of shorter uh, stories that crop up and these, these things that everyone jumps on, these clickbaity things, I'd like to know your opinion. In, um, do you think that sometimes, I wanted to ask you about Trump's like gaffes, I guess, or yeah, like yeah, yeah. His, his, his mistakes that he makes in press conferences and things like this. Like I'm thinking of like maybe the disinfectant thing with COVID. Um, mm. There was one recently where he, he said something about a virus occurring in 1917, which was around the time of the second world war, just these like these clear errors that he's making or whatever. I was wondering, um, do you think that he does these things intentionally? Um, or do you think he's just, he really just makes mistakes? Like I think Joe Biden similarly has a lot of moments where he sort of says the wrong things. Um, in Trump's case, for some reason, I don't know. I know nothing about this world and I know nothing about this, this topic. But for some reason, for me, I feel like Trump is a lot more intentional than people might think. And I'm wondering if you have any insight on whether he strategically just says a lot of crazy stuff and keeps people jumping from the next crazy thing to the next crazy thing or whether he is really just a bit dumb sometimes and says the wrong thing. I reckon now this is going to involve a lot of mind reading of Donald Trump, who I've never met. I might be wrong, but if I if you're asking me for my gut reaction, I'll give you my gut reaction. The uh, and that is that I think as a general rule of thumb, when people get into positions of of power and they seem like a real idiot, they're probably not a real idiot. Usually, usually, like they usually. I'm not saying they're geniuses, but usually there's more to them than seems through the lens of the camera yeah and like, yep. through, like through, through the little shreds and patches you see on tv and social media people don't act when they're on camera the way they act in real life they just mm. don't you know they're always putting on the show and their show might be acting like an idiot you know like so so as a like for instance george w bush was always seen as a real moron but when you actually when you actually listen to longer interviews with him or something like that he's not a moron yeah, he's not, he's not, like he, 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 I'm not saying he's the brightest guy on earth. I'm just saying he's not a moron, right? And similarly, similarly, I'm sure there are things with Donald Trump where, if you got him away from the camera and you just got him in an office somewhere and you talked about certain things, he'd be extremely intelligent. 
he clearly understands the media. He clearly mm-hmm. understands the media better than the media do. Yeah. Like there, there's no doubt about that. He clearly understands interpersonal relations, like in terms of like manipulating people and, and how to get into people's skin, how to read people. He's clearly mm-hmm. good at that. Like his juvenile nicknames, they hit the spot. <laughs> he knows how people yeah. think. Yeah. Like, you know, like just the, I mean, and as much as, as much as contempt as I have for them, there is intelligence behind them. Yeah. You know, they are, and, and he does know how to, his tactics often while they, while they presume the person he's dealing with, they're like primary school kids. It, often they then act like primary school kids. Like yeah. it's, it's fascinating. So, so I do think there is an intelligence to him that doesn't get appreciated, but there are different kinds of intelligence, right? I think he's got a, a kind of rat cunning kind of intelligence. I don't think he has an academic intelligence at all. I don't think he, for a second, understands policy. I don't think he understands the workings of the government. I don't think he understands any of that shit. I don't think he's ever needed to. I think yeah. he's grown up, he's grown up rich, and he's grown up where the only skill he needs is the skill of manipulating people mm. and working the media. And he's mm-hmm. become a genius at it. And he's great for at those reason, things. Yeah, for that reason, he hasn't bothered to learn anything else. Mm-hmm. Why bother? He doesn't, yep. hasn't needed to learn. And like, and when you're 75 or whatever, he's 73 or 74, it's too late to learn then. <laughs> if you haven't spent one second trying to learn that stuff when you, were, when you were young, your brain is pretty well formed by the time you're 74. And so, and so now I just think he's just a, he's a dry sponge as far as that kind yep. of stuff goes. Yep. He, he can't take in anything. Yep. You know, so... So, oh, actually, that's a, that's a terrible metaphor because a dry sponge is very, is very absorbent. He's <laughs> <laughs> an ultra full wet sponge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sponge. yeah so He's not yeah. taking in shit. That's the yeah. important thing. But yeah. But, uh, he's but, a yeah, scourer. So what, I say, what I would say is I'd say that I don't think he's a complete and other moron in all respects. I think there's some respects where he would surprise people with his intelligence. Mm. But I think the things he makes mistakes about, the, 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 those kinds of gaps you're referring to, are usually gaps in knowledge and gaps in policy understanding. And I think he is, he is sub moronic in those areas. <laughs> and that's, it's a shame because as a president, it'd be useful for him to be across policy and <laughs> across that kind of stuff. It, you know, he doesn't even need to be across that if he employs people who are, who he listens to. But the evidence suggests that that is not the case. Yeah, Although sometimes right. he does. Sometimes he does listen, but sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. So, I, I yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm kind of in between there in what you just said. I, I, yes. I do think I think he's a three-dimensional character, but I think at the same time, the areas where people where where he appears to be lacking, I think he is genuinely lacking. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. I mean that I've thought about this a lot, and I haven't been able to figure it out. And your analysis of it just now, I think that just that seems right to me that seems i think that's seems absolutely spot on do you um when he got elected i remember like for weeks following it i remember having lots of conversations with people who um don't have a great knowledge of american politics myself included about how he did it um and i don't know do you remember that time when everyone was sort of debating like what what was it was it the working class vote was it the did he get people out that hadn't voted in a long time was hillary clinton not a good enough candidate um all that stuff and i just like i i feel like i personally this is probably a bit of a basic question but 
I would love your um, explanation of how he won the 2016 election because I feel like I never got that. I never, I never not have known properly or understood properly how he won that election. Okay. I, I, will, I will answer that question and I'll throw in a bonus answer as well, which mm-hmm. is the, the real question, I think, is how he won the primary. Right. Because, okay. Because I'll answer your question first, and then I'll tell you why I think the primary is the real question, and why I think the answer is there. The, the answer to how you won the 2016 election, in my view, is that in any election, there are 20 reasons why people are doing well, 20 reasons why people are doing are doing poorly. You add them all up, and you end up with a result. But people think, oh, there's just one reason. There's one thing to push them over. No, no, there's a whole bunch of them. But, but the, but I would say that the that the major things that were different um, and for the Trump-Clinton scenario that that uh, some might say were definitive, even though there were lots of other things, was number one, uh, generally speaking, when you're running against someone, against an incumbent, you run a very different campaign to when you're running as the incumbent. Right. When you're running... Right. As the incumbent, you are trying to, you essentially are trying to ride off people being happy, being mm. happy with the situation. When you're running as against the incumbent, you're running, you're running to make people unhappy and then they want change. And it's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what the change is. People don't follow politics. Like three quarters of the people who vote aren't paying any attention. They, yeah. they hear this story here, that story there, they know their family is a Republican or whatever. They're just going to vote. They're, just gonna, they're, they're not going to vote for information. They're just going to vote. For, it's, it's set in stone how they're going to vote for all kinds of social reasons that have nothing to do with the campaign, right? So, so it's already 45-45 just built in before you even start. But those people in the middle, those people who, are gonna, who, who might swing one or another, they're just deciding on, on whether they're happy or whether they're not happy. Mm. And Hillary Clinton was an extremely unpopular person in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and Donald Trump, one of the things he's very good at is throwing shit at stuff. He's very good at, at smearing things and making people generally unhappy. That's something he's very good at. And he used those skills effectively to just make people just hate everyone. There was Donald Trump had the worst negatives of any candidate in history except for Hillary Clinton. Wow. <laughs> and you just had this extremely wow. negative, corrosive election where you already mm. started with someone who everyone hated, who was Hillary. And you added on someone who was very good at making people hate other people, which is Donald Trump. And so he increased the hatred of Hillary, which already existed. And he increased the hatred himself at the same time, but it doesn't matter because he's running against the incumbent. Yep, the more yep. people are angry, the more they're going to want change, even if the agent of that anger is the person who is running for the change. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's, not, that's, a, a, that's how politics works. Change favours the non-incumbent. And so essentially the reason why Donald Trump won, in my view, is that, is that he, plus the existence of Hillary, made people... And, and, and yeah, the Obama era was getting a bit old as well. And yeah, like just like there were people, there's always a mood for change after eight years. There's yeah. always a bit of a mood for change. You add Hillary onto that, and then you add Trump onto that. And just by the end of the election, people were exhausted and just 
angry and just fucking, I hate everyone. Donald Trump won the double haters, the people who hate Hillary and Donald Trump. Wow. He won them handsomely. And that's no surprise. That always happens to the non-incumbent. That's why Donald Trump won the election. Okay. So the reason why I say that's not the question is because that is a natural occurrence, what you expect there. Right. What I didn't expect was for Donald Trump to win the primary against 12 other, 12, it was like 16 other Republicans who are all more conservative than he was. He was the least conservative just about out of that whole list of people there. Why would, he wasn't, he, was, he wasn't even a Republican a few years earlier. He clearly wasn't a Christian, even though he acted like he was. He clearly doesn't understand the Bible. He clearly, he clearly is posing. Like, yeah. He's acting like he's against abortion. He's, he's, he's had abortions. Like, like, like no one for a second thinks that, you know, obviously his partner. <laughs> no one for a second <laughs> thinks that Donald Trump is an authentic conservative back in 2015. Yeah. Now, now a lot of people think he is, but at the time they didn't. So how did he win this? this primary against all these other Republicans who have been running for the last 10 years. And that's the question for me. And my answer is that we are living in a unique period of history. And I can go on like this forever. I'm going to try and keep really short for you where for the first time that I know of elections are driven by negative polarization, not positive polarization. And they're, they're driven by who you hate. Mm. Not, People who vote Labor don't like Bill Shorten. Mm -hmm. They hate Scott Morrison. Yeah, exactly. People who vote Liberal hate Bill Shorten. They yep. don't like Scott Morrison. Right? They, and it's the same in America. They've got this massive negative polarization where what unites each party is their hatred of the other people. And, and it's a very, very corrosive situation. But basically, because of that, if you get someone who really pisses off the guys you hate, people love them yeah. because they piss off your enemies. That matters much more than policy. It matters much more what they say they're going to do. It matters more whether they're full of shit. It doesn't matter. If you know, one thing you know about Donald Trump is that he is going to make your enemies really angry. You yeah. know that for a fact. And he yeah. was better at that than anyone by an absolute mile. And that is why he triumphed. And my hope is that's not a pattern of what's to come because that does not lead anywhere good. That it's just leads scary. to the other side becoming angrier and getting mm. their own bomb thrown. Mm. And then you, and, and you keep on escalating, escalating, escalating. Where it ends, I don't know, but it's not a constructive government. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's yeah. really scary. Okay, in terms of that, and I guess, and related to the eight years that came before Trump and even the years before that, even the Bush administration, do you think that that, that nature of how politics works now um, and that negativity that you're just talking about, do you think that that's a result of politicians changing their behaviour um, and someone like Trump coming around? Or do you think it's a result of, I guess, um, people's lives being shitter and without without um an end in sight of their shitness if that makes sense like like they want someone that is the agitator and that's so different and pisses those people off because their lives are shit and therefore they don't trust people or is it just because politics is just politicians have started being more that way i think there's a lot of chicken and egg in this i think that the i think that when you have a 
when you have a, a corrosive atmosphere that politicians play to it and then create more enmity. Like, like yeah, the, we had the negative polarization before Trump came along, but you can't tell me that Trump hasn't contributed to it. Yeah. yeah, by, yeah. Like the whole enemy of the people bullshit and the way he goes CNN. Like CNN, this is a great example, actually. This is a great example. If you watched CNN four years ago, you would not, and then you watch it now, you would not believe how much it has changed in the last wow. four years. CNN used to be a news network. Yes, it used mm. to be a crap news network, but it was still a news network. Now it is a propaganda channel. It has become exactly what Donald Trump said it was four years ago. It wasn't like that four years ago. Now it is because they've been locked in this battle with Donald Trump since, since 2015 where, where Donald Trump, you know, like Donald Trump was saying, oh, fake news, fake news. And then Sam would try and get back at him for, for that. And then, and then Donald Trump would get back at them and then they get back at him. And before you know it, CNN is yeah. just all yeah. about Donald Trump. Yeah. And it is the, the anti Donald Trump channel now. And, that's so depressing the that's way that's happening. Really scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so and so yeah, so horrible. Donald Trump has made it worse, but it was like that before he got there. And yeah. and yeah, so so I would say that your your option B about people's lives being shit, about I would throw in a, a whole bunch of reasons for that. Like mm-hmm. religion doesn't mean anything anymore. I'm not religious, I'm atheist, but I even as an atheist, I know I know that back when people were into religion, they were happier than a lot of people are now. Yeah. They had something to believe in yeah. and, they, and there was a sense of, of karma and a sense of justice. You know, like the, and, and when you take that away, it's hard for some people to, to feel like there's a meaning. Yeah. And, they, and they try and, they, and there's less community now than there used to be. You don't know what your next door neighbour is like. You mm-hmm. don't... There is no, there is no town hall where people, where people meet or whatever. Like, I, I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but there, there are a whole bunch of, that twenty years ago, thirty years ago, even more, fifty years ago, there was, there were a whole bunch of larger institutions that people used to give themselves some kind of structure and some kind of meaning, and now they're all gone. Yeah. Now it's the internet, and you can do whatever you like. And there's no, and there's just no boundaries. There's no boundaries. There's nothing. You just go wherever you want. Now, if you happen to be a person with a, with a very strong drive, that's great because you just go and do your thing. I'm like that. I thrive in this environment. Mm-hmm. I don't want boundaries because I'll set my own boundaries. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who aren't like that, and, and they become depressed and they become anxious and, and income is lower than it used to be and people are struggling and people's desires of what they want is higher than it used to be. And so people are working really, really hard and not getting there. And we have debts and I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to recite for you every single shitty 600 word op-ed piece that's out there. There's plenty of them out there, but the point is, yes, people are unhappy. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that that sets the standard for then politicians and then come in and make it worse. And the negative polarization is a real cycle. It's a real cycle where everyone shits on everyone else, which makes the next person shit on you even harder. And then that makes the next person shit on them even harder mm. and so on. Yeah. How and you then make it, it? That's the question. Exactly. That yeah. the thing about community, I think is so true. Starbucks 
have done an ad campaign like this is quite a long time ago but their their whole marketing campaign was around like come to Starbucks because it's the place where you can feel like you're in a community because they saw that libraries and town halls and all these things were being eroded and and people were losing that sense of community and they so they even you know the best market research in the world they could tell that people were lacking that in their lives and then they yeah. used that as their marketing campaign i find it I really scary part, yeah i think it's part of the reason why we have why there's so much identity on social media mm. like uh, these, these really passionate identity groups and the cancelling yeah. and the and, yeah. the and the people warring with each other all the time is because they're trying to find a group to belong to yeah that's, that's their new community yeah. The new community are the people they they form an identitarian bond with, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a good community myself. Like I, I, I don't think that is leading to happiness. No, it, it it actually leads to more fear and anxiety. I think, which makes it even worse. Absolutely, yeah. I'm. I've taken up so much of your time. I should yeah. wrap up in a minute, but just quickly, just on that, um, the uh, what you were saying about the the. the politics being decided on negativity and um where do you think that leaves us in terms of the next election because obviously trump is behind at the moment in the polls but um do you think he will have a harder time winning this election because he's already the candidate if that makes sense so it's like not his role as much to be that negative one yeah you've been paying attention (laughs) 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 <laughs> yes, he's the incumbent now, so the incentives are reversed. Mm. As the incumbent, he needs people to be happy. Mm. Like when people are unhappy, he's gone. And so for that reason, he doesn't seem to have a second gear, unfortunately, for him. And so for that reason, I would say first principles would suggest he's going to lose the election because he doesn't know how to make people happy. He only knows how to make people hate the other side. Yeah. And that's fine for his team, but they're not the people who are going to win the election for it. And yep. so, and so, yeah, I think that what's going to happen is the double haters, the people who hate both sides are going to go with Joe Biden. Yeah. And so therefore the, and the independents will go with Joe Biden and he will win. Now that's the first principles don't always work out. Sometimes there's a big, sometimes there's some big scandal or sometimes something, there's a bolt from the blue or whatever, you know, so I'm not saying it's a hundred percent chance Donald Trump's going to lose. I'm just saying that first principles usually accounts for 80, 90% of results. Right. And first principles tells me that Donald Trump is going to lose this election unless he can find a way to make people happy. And yeah, to be fair to Donald Trump, it's hard to make people happy during a pandemic and a recession. Yeah. So now some might say that the reason for that pandemic and recession that is because of his, his leadership, like Mm -hmm. not, not that he created COVID and obviously COVID created the recession, but that COVID would not be as bad as it was, as it is in America. It would be more like it is in Australia or, Mm -hmm. or in in New Zealand or whatever. If, uh, if he dealt with it differently, that's, that's for other people to argue. I'm just, but, the fact is they have this massive pandemic and a massive recession, hard to make people happy, twice as hard to make people happy if you're shitting on everyone. All yeah. <laughs> and so I think he's going to lose. That, I mean, that, with all that taken into account, that definitely sounds like he'll lose. That's, but, I mean, yeah. We'll see. Who knows? Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah. That, fuck, such an insightful conversation, Chaz. I wish I could just keep talking to you all day. <laughs> um, can you... 
um, recommend someone for the listeners to to check out? It could be could be an artist or a um, anyone, any sort of creative or a, a you know, it could be someone in politics, whatever you want. Do you have anyone that people should check out? Yeah, my favorite comedian at the moment is Andrew Schultz. S C H U L Z. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a New York comedian. Uh, I his stand up. I'm I'm loving his work. He's he. He does a whole bunch of different kinds of stuff. Like the, at the moment during COVID, he's been doing these little monologues, these little sort of John Oliver style monologues, which yeah. are, in my view, the, they are, I mean, look, he goes for, he goes for a few cheap jokes, which is every comedian's right. <laughs> but, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah, A, he's funny. He is really funny. B, he doesn't insult his audience's intelligence. He, he makes clever jokes and he makes fast jokes he goes rapid and like and i love that he doesn't he doesn't he expects more of his audience he expects them to, to go with him and thirdly he like he's there's some deceptively well thought through points in there he comes off his presentation is as if he's a bit of a goof and a bit of an idiot but if you actually stop and think about what he what he says there is some there is some intelligent stuff in there and so yeah. i love the way he combines it all and, and primarily, he's just a very funny guy. Like, he's technically a brilliant comedian. And so I love watching his stand-up. I can see the work that's gone behind his routines and the way he's crafted them. I love his, his writing. It's very rare to find someone who is great at stand-up, the stand-up craft, and good at the writing craft. They yeah. have very different skills. Yep. And he is brilliant at both. And he does a podcast, there's several podcasts, which are also brilliant, which is another completely different form. So the fact he's so versatile and so good, I would recommend him to people. He sounds amazing. I haven't, I have never seen him. So I'm going to check him out. Um, Check him out on YouTube. He's got, he's all over YouTube. Okay. Awesome. All right. Great. I'll put all the details for Andrew Schultz in the show description. And I'll also put um, maybe a link to planet America on iView and to your podcast, if that's okay. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much, Chaz. Seriously, this podcast is like sort of all about me learning things about the world. And that was like, (laughs) that was an hour and a half of me constantly learning. So I really, (laughs) it was awesome. It was really great. (laughs) Thank you very much. If you ever, if you want a part two, um, I'm I'm happy to. I would love a part two. Maybe around the time of the election would be cool. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Chaz. 